and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We took a break from Nehemiah for two weeks. We had Brother Frost with us uh, two weeks ago. And then this past week, this past Sunday, uh, the Lord had uh, laid a message on my heart that was just a burden to me personally on the subject and the topic of prayer. And uh, so last Sunday we dealt with the subject of prayer and uh, getting back to our study on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an incredible book. I love the, the life and the character of Nehemiah. There's something that can be said about just looking at Nehemiah's example because he was an ordinary man, unlike many of the writers of Scripture, he's not an extraordinary person. He's not somebody with position or uh, that you would look at and say that we believe that God would use him to write Scripture. And yet, uh, Nehemiah did an extraordinary work. And he did it because of the great hand of his God upon him. And he gives credit to God all throughout this uh, book. In fact, every time that he comes up against a trial or opposition... One of the first things that Nehemiah does is he goes to God in prayer. And we found early on in this book that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And then as we began to study, we learned also that he's a man of perseverance. And we found that in chapters 2 and 3. And then as we get into chapter 4 and then a little bit more into chapter 5, we'll find that he is a man of preparation. And uh, certainly wanting to be prepared to do the work that God has given him to do. And so that's kind of where we left off. We'll begin uh, reading here in just a moment, uh, I was thinking this morning as I uh, was spending some time getting ready for the day this morning uh, early, uh, and uh, the Lord brought a, uh, uh, an instance in my life to, to thought as I was reflecting on uh, our salvation. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? Uh, I began to thinking, thinking about the atonement, the sacrifice for atonement, and well, I just got excited this morning thinking of all that God did. The Old Testament picture of the atone, the blood atonement and how that it was a picture of Christ and all of these things. And I just got uh, excited about it. And uh, I, I remembered a, a, an instance that happened when I was in college. And when I was in high school, I played basketball in our Christian school and uh, was uh, always on the team. And so whenever we went to the ball games, we just went to the dressing room, got ready and went out on the floor and played basketball and then I went off to Bible college and I came back my first year of Bible college and uh, for Christmas break and they were right in the middle of the basketball season my younger brother Rich was playing basketball and he asked me to come to his game and so I thought well yeah that would be a fun thing we'll go to the game and I uh, I pulled up at the church and went around the back of the church to the gymnasium was getting ready to walk in and I noticed a line of people and they're all standing there paying to go into the game and uh, I'd never had to do that before because I was always on the team. And I thought, I'm not sure I've got any money. And I think I was uh, financially embarrassed a little bit. And I reached in my pocket. And sure enough, I didn't have any money. And I walked up to the gate. And I looked at the lady that was at the gate. And, and uh, my dad uh, started the church and had pastored the church for a number of years. So she knew who I was. And um uh, and I said, uh, I don't have any funds. I said, I, I didn't even think about having to pay to get in the game because I've never had to pay to get in the game. And she said this. She said, come on in. You're related. And I was thinking about that this morning as I thought about the fact that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. There was no way I could have gone in that gym if I hadn't been related because that lady was going to make sure she stopped me. You know, there's no way you and I could have ever gotten to heaven if we'd had to pay for it on our own. 
that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. And one day when we get to heaven, Christ is going to say, come on in. You're related. And I don't know about you, but I got excited this morning. (laughs) I love the fact that he just reminds us over and over and over again that he loves us. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. Let me tell you, God sure loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you a home in heaven for all of eternity. I was listening to Brother Larry this morning talking. He made the comment, I believe it was Brother Larry that made the comment, that there are some people out there that will say, well, I don't believe a loving God would send anyone to hell, and I agree with that statement. I believe a loving God would do everything he could to keep people out of hell, and even if it meant sending his own son to the cross for them in their place. And I'll tell you this, if somebody goes to hell today, it's because they trample through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject his love. And uh, one thing that concerns me with the days drawing near and time being very short, I believe, for the end days, is that there are a number of people, even in the United States of America, who have never one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And that's where you and I come in. We have the great joy and privilege I'm not, I'm not real fond of preachers that get up and preach to church members that their obligation, their duty, is to go out and share the gospel. Folks, it's a privilege to go out and share the gospel. It is the great honor of our lives to be able to go out and represent our blessed Savior. And uh, I think we ought never serve out of obligation or duty. We ought to serve out of love. Out of the fact that we love him so much because he first loved us. And so I would encourage you in that this week. That was just something that just stirred my heart this morning and wanted to share it with you. And maybe it will be an encouragement to you. Well, let's look in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. And Nehemiah now, just because we've been two weeks away from it, has faced some opposition from some men, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian, and these three fellows have caused a lot of uh, discouragement, I guess you would say, among the ranks of those that were doing the work of rebuilding the wall, the walls that had been broken down in Jerusalem. And they began by ridicule. And by the way, that's the way the devil always begins, isn't it? He tries to pressure us, tries to, uh, tries to uh, ridicule us, and affects our emotions and attacks our pride. And uh, they began to ridicule and make fun of them and talk about how that even a fox could go up and knock the wall down. And uh, just making fun of them and laughing at them. And Nehemiah was not deterred by that. And then they resorted, since they couldn't get him with ridicule, they began to threaten him. And uh, Satan will do that to us too, won't he, sometimes? And try to get us discouraged in the work that God's given us to do. And I'll tell you, we live in a great day where we have tremendous liberty as far as religion is concerned. To be able to spread the gospel without fear of persecution. And and I'll tell you, no matter what suffering Christians may have gone through in recent years in the United States of America, the truth of the matter is we still have no idea what it is to really suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are We have a book on the back table, and if you haven't picked one up yet, they're free. Just pick one up called The Trail of Blood. You read through that book. And then tell me if we've ever paid a price to suffer for our freedoms of religion. And so we live in a day and age where Satan's going to try to discourage us, but we have great liberty and great uh, freedom in the time that we live. I believe that liberty is very short-lived. If we're ever going to do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to get on with it. 
We need to get busy doing the work. And so these, these men have tried to discourage Nehemiah and his followers. There's been some issues along the way. They found that uh, the burdens, uh, the, those that were the uh, bearers of burdens, those that cleared the rubble and just kind of kept everything clean and neat for them to be able to work and to do the work and accomplish the work, were being pulled off of their duty in order to guard against the uh, enemy coming against them. And because of that, the work was slowed down. They, they had too much debris in the way and how so many times in our lives we need to come to a place where we stop and we say, Lord, look and see if there's any wicked way in me. We need to look at the debris that may be causing us to stumble and us to hinder the work that God wants in our lives. And so we found out about that. We get down to verse number 17, and this is around where we left off last time we, we taught on the subject. And the Bible says, They which build it on the wall, and they with bear burdens, uh, with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service this morning and speak to our hearts. And I pray that you'll help us to clearly get across the truth of your word. And Father, that it will stir us. Lord, we believe this book to be very alive. You've told us that it's quick and that it's powerful. And I pray that you would use it this morning to pierce our hearts, to stir those embers that maybe have grown cold, and perhaps for those that maybe the embers haven't grown cold, that you would use it as a source of encouragement and strength that would give us holy boldness to be able to do the work and to withstand the onslaught and the attacks of the devil himself as we attempt to do your work. I pray that you would empower us and strengthen us Lord, I don't want us to just waste an hour of our time to come to a service if you're not going to move in our hearts. And we ask that you would do that this morning. Stir us afresh and anew, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find in verse 17 that they builded the wall and the bearers of burdens uh, with those laid at everyone, the Bible says, with his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. I want us to start off the message this morning by saying this. There's Two things that you and I ought be prepared for if, as we look at this thing of Nehemiah, Nehemiah being a man of preparation. There are two things in the Christian life that you and I ought be prepared for because they're certain and they're certainly going to happen. First of all, you and I are involved in a great warfare. And we're involved in it every single day. In fact, the Bible teaches that we ought to put on the whole armor of God that we can resist the wiles of the devil And uh, that we ought to be involved in this battle, this warfare. And I want to just say this about the warfare, that it is not a warfare against men. There's a lot of religions out there today that fight men. And the truth of the matter is, in in our Bible, it teaches us that the warfare that we are involved in, and when we talk to our folks about being involved in the fight, we're not talking about picking up arms against men, because we're not fighting men. We're fighting, the Bible says, the principalities and the powers, the prince of the darkness of this world. And the truth of the matter is, the devil hates everything there is about God, doesn't he? In fact, he's so mad that God has saved your soul, now all he wants to do is to ruin your life, to make it of none effect for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's going to put a bullseye on you. And I'll tell you this, and it's not a lot of times what a lot of Christians want to hear, but Satan's going to come after Christians. Especially if they're worth their weight in salt of any sort. He's going to put a bullseye on them because the idea is he's going to try to hinder us doing any kind of work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian is involved every single day of their lives in a battle, and that battle begins the moment we wake up. 
And then as we go throughout the day, there are things that Satan's going to do to try to discourage us. And there are things that Satan's going to try to do to wreck our lives and cause us to have a testimony that will not be pleasing to the Lord and that will bring a reproach to him. There are things that Satan's going to do to try to get us to just give up in the work. I bet if we went around the room this morning, there could be testimony of folks that would say, Brother Greg, I've gotten to the point where I was this close to just throwing my hands up and saying, God, I'm done with it. Because Satan tries to do that, doesn't he? He tries to, he tries to get us to, to get away from the things of the Lord. And, and if we're not careful, uh, he'll, he'll succeed at it, won't he? We all battle it from the pastor down. It doesn't matter. Whether you're a leader in the church or whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you play the instruments or sing in a choir or just attend the church. It doesn't matter what role you're in in the church. Satan's out for us. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that he's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. He is not out to inconvenience us. He is not out to hurt us. He is out to destroy us. That's his goal and that's his end purpose. And the sooner we can wake up to this fact that every single morning when we wake up, we are involved and we are entangled with this idea of spiritual warfare that Satan is going to try to do everything he can to keep us from growing closer to the Lord, to keep us from doing his work. Satan's going to come at us with everything that he's got and try to destroy our lives. If we can ever wake up to that fact, maybe we can do what the Bible says and put on the whole armor of God. And maybe we can resist against the devil and he'll flee from us. But the sad fact of the matter is that many of us wake up without ever giving a thought that the devil's out to get me today. Many of us get up and go about our day without ever thinking that, boy, I better, I better make sure that I've spent time with my Lord and my Savior. Because we're getting ready to enter the fray. We're getting ready to enter the battle. And without his strength and without his provident hand upon our lives... The Bible says it this way, that if it were not for His mercies, we would be consumed every morning. I thank God that we have a God that not only saves us, but He enables us to live the Christian life. He provides the resources that are necessary for you and I to have victory over sin. We were reading in Proverbs this morning, and it talked about uh, the man that loved righteousness. And I thought, you know, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but the heart ought to always be longing to do what is right. It was said of David, even after he had committed such grievous sins in the latter years of his life, he was still considered a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. David was far from perfect, wasn't he? But because he had a heart that longed for righteousness. It doesn't give us a license to sin, but I'll tell you this, we ought to have a desire, and Paul put it this way. He said, forgetting those things which are behind, because I'll tell you, if anybody could let Satan get a hold of them by their past, it would have to be the Apostle Paul. If anybody would get discouraged and throw their hands up and say, God can't use me because of my past, it would have to be the Apostle Paul. And so he said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. We have a lot of people who are remembering the past and forgetting the future. And what we need to have are a lot of people who forget the past and press for the mark. You say, Brother Greg, what's the mark? The mark is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to become as much like Him as possible. We're to pursue after righteousness and holiness. We started a series on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, training for ministry and 
teaching folks about the purpose of the church. Why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? One of the great needs in our churches today is to realize and to understand our purpose. Because many of us don't even know why we do what we do. Many of us don't press toward doing anything because we're too wrapped up in our past. And so we have this great warfare that we're involved in every single day. And the devil's going to try to do everything he can to dissuade us from it. He's going to start by saying, you don't need to go to every church service. He said, oh boy, here's pastor again harping on faithfulness to church. We shouldn't have to. If we're saved and on our way to heaven, if God is our Savior, why should we ever have to harp on going to church and being faithful to it? There's great warfare. And the sad fact of the matter is, in every one of our lives, far too often Satan gets the victory, doesn't he? From the pastor down. We fail him every single day, don't we? We wake up tomorrow morning, we got a new day, a new battle to face. And it's not time to say, well, I failed him yesterday, so why even try today? It's now time to wake up and say, I failed him yesterday. I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to guard against that. I'm going to draw closer to him. I'm going to be more of what he wants me to be. So Nehemiah prepares his men for war, doesn't he? The battle is imminent. It's going to happen. And I want you to notice, secondly, he prepares them for the work. Every Christian is involved in two things every single day. You're involved in the warfare and you're involved in the work. You say, Brother Greg, I don't, I don't think I'm involved in working for the Lord. The Bible says you can't serve two masters, can you? You're going to either serve one or you're going to serve the other. And every day that we wake up, we are involved in the work of the Lord. We're either going to succeed in that work and we're going to excel in that work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we're going to fail. We're going to stumble. And one of the great things that I think we find here in this story of Nehemiah is the fact that he sees the two things that are most going to affect what he's got on his heart to do, that God had given him to do, and he prepares his people for both of them. Having a weapon in one hand and having the instruments to do the work in the other hand. And notice this, that as they begin to do the work... They are prepared for the battle. And as they're fighting in the battle, they're attempting to do the work. You cannot separate the two. And every day of our lives, we're involved in both of those things. I don't want anybody to raise their hand or to answer this question, but I want us to ask ourselves this question. How are we succeeding in each of those areas? Think back to the past week. As we woke up each morning, how well did we succeed in the battle for the day? How well did we succeed in the work that God had given for us to do? Nehemiah does something very amazing here. Let me just, let me rephrase that, can I? God did something very amazing here through Nehemiah. And really, that's the way we've got to look at it. Because Nehemiah, with the power and the strength and the prospering of his great God upon him, in 52 days built the entire wall all the way around Jerusalem with a remnant of people. But not without praying, and not without persevering, and not without being prepared. Prepared for what? He was prepared for the war, and he was prepared for the work. 
We find as we get to verse number 17 that they were ready. One of their hands were wrought in the work, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. If there's nothing else you get out of the message this morning, can I encourage you in this? As we walk out the doors today, let's make sure that we hold the weapon in one hand and we're ready to work with the other. I don't believe you can separate the two because the Bible teaches that without me, you can do nothing. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our labor is vain. So we take the weapons that we have to our disposal. The weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're prepared for the work. And we're prepared for the war. I want you to look as we continue on in verse number 18. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And so he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large. And we are separated upon the wall one from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God, shall fight for us. Man, what a mouthful in just a couple of verses. I want you to notice that Nehemiah set up a man with a trumpet. A man with a trumpet. The purpose of the man with the trumpet was to sound the warning. The purpose of the man with the trumpet was in case others were distracted by the work, when the enemy came, the man with the trumpet was responsible for sounding the warning. And can I tell you this, that every single one of us this morning have been given the task of being the watchman on the wall. All of us are asked by the Holy Spirit of God to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days are evil. We're to enter this world looking around us and understanding what's going on about us. And when the danger comes, you and I are given the great responsibility of sounding the trumpet. We live in a world today where literally the enemy is progressing at an alarming rate. And many of the watchmen around, the, uh, the America, uh, around America today are not sounding the trumpet. They're not sounding the alarm. And many folks are going down this, this trail of, uh, of leaving from what God wants them to do. And Satan is gaining the victory in their lives because the watchmen have not sounded the warning. You say, Brother Greg, I, I don't think that preaching ought to be hard preaching. And I, I think there's times for encouraging preaching, and I thank God for that. But I think there are times that we need to revive our hearts that allow that we allow the Holy Spirit to do something to stir us up and to wake us up and to cause us to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet, to say, America, you need to wake up. I've heard a lot of discussion in the last couple of weeks, and especially in the last week, of how there needs to be this law made or how we need to get these type of people in power. Can I tell you this? The answer for the problems of America does not lie in Washington, D.C., no matter what you may think. The answers for the morality of America does not lie in, in having social programs and, and mental health clinics, but the, the answer for America lies in the pulpits and in the pews of our churches if God's people will begin to sound the trumpet and to say that there's a problem going on, the enemy is advancing and we must wake up. We've been prepared to do the work and we've been prepared for the war and now it's time to fight. And let me say once again, it's not fighting men. But it's fighting the principalities and powers. How do we do that? 
Can I tell you, the devil trembles when God's people get a hold of the throne and begin to pray. And then God's people get out here and they start telling people about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't fight that. He puts this man with the trumpet by him so that when the, when the enemy was on their way, he was sounding the warning. And he said to the nobles, verse number 19, and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is what? We find two words here. The work is what? Great and large. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is the work that God's given to us great? Is it large? Oh, yeah. Oh, almost seven and a half billion people in the world today, and over half of them have never one time heard the gospel. Tell me the work's not great. Tell me the work is not large. You say, well, Brother Greg, I can't leave and go to a foreign field. I met somebody three weeks ago here in town that had never one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They're right here in our neighborhoods, folks. I led a man to the Lord just a couple of years ago down in Florida. He was 43 years old at the time. I sat in his living room for an hour. And when I got to the point where I told him why Jesus Christ died on the cross so that he could save him from his sins, he looked at me and he said, I've always heard the story of Jesus, and this was a statement he made. When I said that phrase to him, he came to save you from your sins. He looked at me and he shook his head and he said, so that's why he came. He said, Brother Greg, I've never understood that. Forty-three years old in a Christian nation and did not know why Christ had come. Is the work great? Oh, yes, it's great. Most of us are going to leave here today, and within just moments of leaving here, we're going to run into somebody who's never heard the gospel clearly one time. This summer I was in Kansas at a camp meeting. I went out to dinner with the pastors that were hosting it and spent some time with them. Met a young girl at the Pizza Hut, amen. Her name was Trinity. I asked her how she got her name. I thought, boy, this might be a good thing. Maybe her parents are, are uh, religious at least. And, and she talked about some movie that, that she, her dad liked that she got her name from. And I took a few moments and shared the gospel with her. And she is 16 years old, had never in 16 years of her life one time heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we don't have to go to a mission field. This is the mission field. We don't have to go to faraway places. They're right next door to us. A songwriter wrote years ago that in the shadow of the steeple, someone's crying. I wonder how many people in the shadow of our doorsteps are lost and on their way to hell. And they need somebody to tell them. The work is great. And the work is large. And we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. Verse 20, In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. And I want you to notice this, and this is the secret of doing the work, and this is the secret of doing the war. Our God shall fight for us. I'll tell you right now, no matter how big and how great the work is, and no matter how passionate my heart gets and longs for loss to be one to the Lord, 
No matter how much my desire is to do the work and to be ready for the war, I cannot do it in my own strength. Perhaps that's why the Lord told His disciples after He had given them the Great Commission, after He had told them to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He had commanded them. But He said this to them as He said that Great Commission. He said, But tear ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The day of Pentecost came, the power came, didn't it? They stood up with one accord, began to preach. 3,000 people were saved and added to the church in one message. What a revival. What a revival. You say, Brother Greg, I've labored for the Lord for so many years. I've labored and labored and labored. Can I encourage you in this? If we do God's work... God's way, but we lack God's power. We will not accomplish what we need to for the Lord. Nehemiah said, listen, we're prepared. We've got the tools in our hands. We've got the weapons in our hands. The work is great, and it's large. And when we blow that trumpet, all of us need to come together and say, you know what, we're getting ready to face the enemy. But he said, when that moment comes, understand this. God will fight the battle for us. God will give the increase to the work. There was a great argument going on in the New Testament church in the early days. Some people said, I'm of Paul. I'm a convert of the Apostle Paul, in other words, is what they were saying. And some said, I am of Apollos. Some said, I am of Cephas, and some said, I am of Christ. And they thought they were really pious because no man but Christ himself had led them to the Lord. And Paul said, you guys are messing up here. Because it's not about Paul or Apollos or Cephas. All we do is plant, and all we do is water. But it is God... Give it the increase. We have a great work. And we have a great warfare. And what we need is God's power. Last Wednesday night at the very beginning of the service, there were four things years ago that were taking a survey of a lot of pastors of the greatest needs in our churches. And I asked our church for a few moments before we got into the lesson on Wednesday night, I said, what is it that we think the greatest need in our churches are? Brother David raised his hand, and I think he hit the nail on the head. The power of God. The power of God. We have substituted promotions and performances for God's power. And our churches are suffering the consequences. Let me rephrase that. Our nation and our children are suffering the consequences. Because the church lacks God's power. 
Where are the days when sincere Christians got on their faces before God and began to seek for God to do something? To stir us up again. And to let Him do what He wants to do. Nehemiah could have never built this wall in 52 days, nor the people that was with him. Especially under the opposition and the things that were going on. Unless God prospered him. Unless God began to do the work for him. I love our church. I love our people of our church. One of the great things I love about our church is the heart of our people. We love one another. We care for one another. But even in a church of great love and caring one for another, we can still grow cold and callous to the lost condition of those around us. And even in a church like this, there could be a time where we need to wake up to some things. And we need to begin praying, Lord, send your power. Give us the strength we need to enable us to do the work. To enable us to fight the warfare. We're involved in both of them every day. Every day as we get to the end of the day, we look back on it. We will either say we were successful in the war. Or we failed. And every day we can look back and say we were either successful in the work or we failed. And I wonder this week as we go through Monday through next Sunday, we get out of bed in the morning with an awareness that there are two things we're going to face that day. And as we get to the end of the day and go to bed at night and we begin to look at the day to examine it, I wonder, would we say we were successful or we failed? Oh, that we could let God have His way in our hearts. And we could lay our hearts on an altar once again and say, Lord, You've got all of it. Completely and wholly yielded to Him. Could you imagine what God could do with a church full of members and Christians? that had literally, completely yielded their hearts to Him in every area. Could you imagine what God could do with that? I would hope and pray our church would long for that. doesn't necessarily mean God will give the increase during that time because God chooses when He does great works. But can I tell you this? We can certainly make sure the soil of our hearts are prepared for if God wants to do a work. Are you prepared this morning? Are you prepared for the work and are you prepared for the war? For it's a great work and it's a large work. And let's let God fight it for us. Let's stand together, please. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, what a blessing it is. It sheds light in our hearts. It brings great comfort. 
It brings instruction. Lord, sometimes it brings a challenge. Lord, there are times it pricks our hearts. All of it's needful for us. All of it is profitable for us. And I pray that You would help us every time we come together with Your Word. That we would have our hearts prepared and ask for Your Holy Spirit to do what He wants with us. Father, may we lay our lives and our hearts on the altar of sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice for You, holy and acceptable. Lord, You've told us that that's just reasonable. That's not even extraordinary for a Christian to do that. That's just simply what's expected. For us to lay our lives fully yielded and open to You. Lord, we long for the days of seeing Your hand mightily at work. We long for the days of seeing Your power exhibited in such a way that the lost are drawn to You. That those that are believers and have trusted You as their Savior are set afire with a zeal and a passion and excitement for the work. I pray that You would stir our hearts afresh and anew. I pray that if there's someone in the room this morning that does not know You as their Savior, that when we give the invitation, You would give them the opportunity to come forward and let them be shown from Your Word how they can be saved today. For Christians that are here, Lord, I pray that You would stir our hearts, help us to rededicate our hearts and our lives to You, that we would get to a point where we would yield ourselves completely and wholly to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ted's bowed, please, and eyes closed. We're just going to have the piano and organ play through hymn or two of invitation. And if God has spoken to you,